So welcome to worship again. It's good to have you here. We're shooting this video on the, behind the church. The north is direct that way. So uh, I'm behind the uh, West Auditorium right now. And uh, we're gonna take the offering in just a minute. And when the offering's being taken, I've got some really cool news. And one of the reasons we're shooting back here is because we're trying to keep this a little bit quiet. But on the other hand, there's something you need to know. But in, before we get to all of that, let me first of all say, as you, uh, as you given the offering today, or perhaps you've given online or at the kiosk, I just wanna say thanks for the way in which you support the ministry of our church. And I wanna start by praying. And then while the offering is being taken, we'll kind of unpack something for you here, right? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the people of this congregation that support your work in our community around the world. They are involved in ministry in the building and lots of ministry outside the building. And for that, I thank you, God, that as a result of us working together, people are coming to know of the great news of Jesus Christ. And we ask you to help us to continue to be generous as individuals and generous as a congregation. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. So while the offering's being taken, I need to tell you about this. We got this award, um, and, and this is the hard part. How do, you, how do you acknowledge that people are seeing what you're doing without sounding pretentious, without sounding like we're bragging? I don't want that. And yet, uh, since you participate and you give so generously to the life of our church and then the church, we strive to be generous as a whole, you need to know that people are paying attention and yet we don't want to do it in a way that's braggadocious. So that's why we're on the, if you will, the north side of the building that most people don't see and just thought, I'd let you in on a little secret. Uh, in the last few weeks, we got an award from the social agencies around town for the work we do with a lot of different organizations. And we were declared that we were proudly presented the 2017 Supporting Organization of the Year Award. And we usually don't put stuff like this up on the wall. We're not trying to draw attention to ourselves, but other organizations gave us this award because of the way in which we do things at the hospital with our chaplaincy ministry. These were the issues they mentioned when they gave us this award work at the hospital, work at Crossing Healthcare, Good Samaritan Inn, our work in the block, our work at Parsons School, the list went on and on. And friend, what we do with the community food drive, all of that was mentioned. Friend, I just wanna say thank you for your giving. Others are paying attention to it. I, it's kind of a little bit weird to me because you know we try to do some things, we just say we're doing it because it's the call of Christ upon our life as a church. And at the same time, you need to be aware, I think, you get the sense of the awkwardness of all of this, but most of all, I just wanna say thanks. It's stuff like this that in the long run, we wanna see people pointed to know Jesus Christ. And if we can help out in that endeavor in our city, that's great news and God bless you for your faithfulness. God bless you for your generosity. Not because of this, but because of the call of God within our lives. It's all good stuff. God bless you today. All right. Very cool. Really, it's it's your award uh, that we're celebrating, and really, what we're celebrating, obviously, is you know, there's a phrase, "goodness for goodness' sake," that we all know, but um, it's different. It is goodness for the sake of the kingdom of God is why we get to do what we do. So it's an honor to really share in ministry together as the church uh, with you. And so uh, if you're newer with us, uh, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here, and um, have the honor and privilege to bring you God's word today. And we're going to do that today from Mark chapter 10. And so I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to that. Um, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, you should see one in the pew rack in front of you to use today to follow along and keep up. Uh, or in the East Auditorium, there's some folks walking around with some Bibles that you could certainly use. And in either setting, if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, we'd encourage you to please take that uh, Bible as a gift from us to you so you can have one of your own. 
And as you're turning there, um, just a little bit about me. Uh, I was, everyone has, you know, different kind of reports, you could say, based on their college experience. And I was very blessed to have a, a good college experience with good friends uh, where I met my now wife, Jessica. And uh, in fact, we were actually still very close to many of the professors, even to this day that we had there. Uh, this is a little snapshot of uh, graduation day here. And um, so the, um, the ominous figure on the top left that looks like Secret Service that's Jessica's dad, and she is, he is discerning whether or not he's going to let the joker on the top right with the graduation fist pump um, marry the, the gal on the left, or if he's just going to take me out right there. So, not really sure which uh, it's going to be. So, um, anyway, we, we uh, both graduated with minors in psychology. Uh, Jessica's was based on her degree in early childhood education. Mine was more bent towards ministry. And uh, one, we were, again, close to many professors, but one of our psych professors in particular, we um, had the privilege of babysitting their two boys on a regular basis. And I remember one occasion where Jessica and I were watching the two boys, and one was acting up, acting out. I don't remember what he was doing. Uh, and so she's disciplined him and I am like in the background like cracking up like I'm, I don't remember what he was doing it's hilarious I'm laughing and all of a sudden Jessica moves from disciplining him to disciplining me <laughs> to which she says you can't laugh at a child while I'm disciplining him and I was kind of like why <laughs> and she was kind of like and I don't remember her exact words but it was something to the effect of um you need to enroll in a child development course if you ever hope to one day procreate with me. Okay? So I'm thinking I'm a youth and families ministry major. I'm thinking, you know, a child development course might be a good fit. And honestly, the thought of procreating with this woman was, where do I sign up? Where's, where's the registration? So... And so one of the figures that I learned about in child development, and, and if you've ever taken maybe even a Psych 101 course, you've probably heard the name Eric Erickson, uh, who is uh, most known for his psychosocial stages of development, where he uh, talks about there's these various stages, literally from birth to death, that um, he, he called them crises of development that we want to be able to move successfully through in order to you know, grow into a healthy, developed person. And, um, and I guess if you, if you don't do well in one of those stages, you have to figure out a way to overcome that as an adult. And so since Erickson's work, uh, most psychologists agree uh, with his understanding that the first stage of life, the very first stage from birth to age one and a half is the most critical, important stage to our life development because it's really the, the onset. It's the trajectory that then builds the building blocks of development from there. And that first stage from birth to about age one and a half is called trust versus mistrust. And so now maybe some bells are starting to ring in for those who've, who've had that, where essentially the understanding is this. At infancy, a child is completely new to this uncertain world around him or her, and thus the child looks to its primary caregiver to provide all security, stability, and thus form trust for its environment and world around them. And so if a child is born into a, uh, an environment with consistent, predictable, reliable care, well, then they will develop a sense of internal trust that will carry them into life, into relationships, that even when feel threatened, they have the security of the ability to be able to, to navigate that. <clears throat> However, if the inverse is true, if a child is, comes into a harsh, unpredictable, unreliable environment, 
Well, then the infant will develop a sense of internal mistrust, or they will lack confidence in the world around them. This may result in you know, heightened insecurities uh, or anxieties, and they'll have to find out ways through their mistrust of the world around them to overcome that in adulthood. Uh, it's frankly just in all kind of a sidebar why we put such a high emphasis on our first kids pre-K ministry here uh, because what you'll never hear us say is, well, you know, you all can come to church while you put your kids in childcare. You'll never hear us say that because what's happening over there is so much greater. We have, you know, trusted, caring adults who are literally forming within your children uh, the building blocks of trust um, in the people associated with the church, trust in this place, in the church, and then ultimately developing their faith and trust in God. It's the beginning building blocks even now for what they will develop into as adults. And so super uh, high emphasis for us around here. But the point of all that for us today is uh, relative to the series that we've been in. We've been looking at the book of Mark, Jesus According to Mark, with this title, Misunderstood, where we have looked at various uh, encounters between people and Jesus where they have misunderstood completely what Jesus was teaching, what he was about, why he came. And so through that, the gospel writer Mark is revealing to us, the reader, an understanding through these misunderstandings of what it means for us to better understand who Jesus is and thus follow him more in our lives. And so our story here today is really, it's a whole trust or even without a child development course, where it gets at this critical principle in our faith development of trust versus mistrust when it comes to our devotion and following of Jesus. So the story goes this way. Follow with me in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. It says that people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Well, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children into his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. Okay, so... The point of this teaching that Jesus is, is giving to his disciples in the midst of this misunderstanding with the children can all be summed up right there in verse 15. This is the point. Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, essentially, if you want to enter into the way or the ways of God, then you must become like a child. And we know this expression, we've probably heard it, faith like a child, Jesus is saying, if you want to enter into the ways of God, the kingdom of God, then you must have faith like a child. And really, as Erickson discovered much later that God designed from the beginning, for us, in order for us to put our full faith and our full trust in God, we too must become like a little child who has our full trust in our caregiver, our heavenly father, for every need. And so Jesus is painting a teaching that the point of this passage is all about trust versus misplaced trust. It's all about our trust in God, faith like a child. Which, if you've been around church at all, it's a teaching you've heard or maybe a phrase you've heard uh, or seen on like a coffee cup, faith like a child, or it's a frame. It's because it's a nice teaching. It's a great teaching. It's one that we're all in for. We all want to have faith like a child. We all want to trust God with our lives and everything in between. Um, but what's interesting is how Jesus takes what starts off as just kind of this maybe generic, nice thought, 
and really puts it to application, really puts rubber to road in the passage as it continues. It really, it doesn't end there. Sometimes these paragraph headers that we kind of added later kind of throw us off and miss the fact that this is one continuous teaching from Jesus. And so it really continues from there uh, with a story of a young man who had a misunderstanding of where his trust was to be placed when it came to trust versus mistrust in God. And so this is rubber to road, uh, this idea of what it means to have trust and faith like a child. Continues verse 17. So from there, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Then Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, this is a very important tone setter to the rest of the conversation Jesus has with him. And that this is what Jesus is going to share with him is out of love, care, compassion, really Jesus' heart breaking for how he is missing out on all that God has for him. And so that's an important tenor to the conversation. Verse 21 again, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Okay. Well, before we get all anxious and think, uh-oh, sermon on money coming. Oh boy, here we go. Uh, time out. In all fairness, as was already stated, as Jesus is painting, this is not the point of the teaching. The point of the teaching is not money. The point that Jesus is making is all about trust versus mistrust. And so, I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, okay, I'm feeling better already. Because, um, and just a, a little moment of, of full candor here. As much as you all don't love hearing sermons about money, I don't really love preaching about it all that much all the time either. So in all fairness, uh, I, I, we, can, we can share in that commiseration sometimes. But unfortunately, there's a little bit of a bummer for both of us today. <laughs> in that while the primary teaching point is absolutely about trust, we see here that the primary application that Jesus is giving is a passage about misplaced trust in money. And so we've got, you could say, a both and here. And that really, there's two ways that we could mishandle and, and really misunderstand what Jesus is getting at here. And that we could, you know, maybe on one extreme say, you know, this passage, it is clearly the application here is about money. So we could take the whole time and just talk only about money. However, since that's not the point of the passage, the other side of that is we could say, well, clearly that's not Jesus' point. That happens to be this guy's specific application. But clearly the point, as you, know, you said, Pastor, is all about trust, this umbrella of trust. So let's just focus on that generic understanding of trust and not talk about money at all. Well, in either extreme, we would be having, a, again, a misrepresentation of the full teaching that Jesus is trying to help us come to life in. And that is, first and foremost, it is absolutely, yes, 100% about trust. It's all about trust in God. And Jesus warns, 
incredibly dangerous to our ability to physically, functionally, actually fully trust God is the temptation to physically put our trust in the things we can see, money and resources and the things of this world. And so Jesus deals with both, the point and the application. And so we too have to deal with both the point and the application as we'll see that Jesus does. So let's start first with this, with this point, that it's all about this umbrella reality of trust versus mistrust. And it's interesting the way that Jesus reveals this young man's misplaced trust versus um, his trust in God. As we look um, at this, really this conversation about this, this discussion, you could say about the commandments. Jesus goes in this conversation about the commandments and, and quite specifically, the 10 commandments. So looking again at verse 19. He responds to the young man, well, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, that's the sixth. Uh, You shall not commit adultery, the seventh. You shall not steal, the eighth. You shall not give false testimony, and you shall not defraud, which is the ninth. Uh, And and really that defraud can be understood as an extension of false testimony. And then he circles back to the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Which, what's interesting about this interaction um, that we don't really catch at first reading, I didn't catch it until further study, is that his emphasis is on only five of the 10 commandments. And what would have been odd about that is that that young man, he would have known all 10 commandments and he would have known that Jesus would have known all 10 commandments. And so why is he focusing only on half of them? And scholars speculate that this response from the young man would have been kind of the tenor, the tone, if we could hear it, would have been uh, as much as an inquisition as it would have been a response and a kind of a, well, teacher, I've kept all of these five that you've mentioned since I was a boy. And so from there, Jesus surrounds the remainder of the conversation um, and thus really, again, just trying to love on and care for this young man, let him know what he's missing out on uh, and saying that you have misunderstood all the commands. You have particularly misunderstood how they're being fulfilled specifically in me, in Jesus. And that again, it has everything to do with trust. Everything to do with trust. And so we see it starts here with uh, the young man's response in verse 17 and 18 regarding the third commandment. The third command is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And in verse 18, Jesus responds to the young man saying, well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And so Jesus is hinting that this young man is actually getting very close to honoring the third command and recognizing that he is in fact the Messiah, God in the flesh. Then from there, Jesus reveals both the young man's missing out and therefore now his opportunity to uphold the other four commandments. And that because this young man's trust as we see in the story, it was in money and resources and wealth, he is breaking the first and the second commands. The first commandment says to have no other God other than God, that there is to be no thing, no being, no other place where we functionally put our hope and our trust, only God alone. And the second commandment is that there is no, to be no idol, no, maybe you've heard it, graven image. There's to be no, essentially, no physical expression of God that can in any way take the place of God. And so in both cases, the first and second commandment, the the young man's wealth had become both an idol and his, you could say, small g God, his source of security and trust. And then from there, this gets to the fourth commandment, which is all about observing the Sabbath. 
And the way it plays into the Sabbath is that the principle behind the Sabbath or is it's this whole idea of trust. That in our days of the week, it was observed by a day of the week that in six days you are to labor and one day you are to not work. You're not to earn. That's a day, technically, you could take an extra day and you could get after it. You could earn more. You could work more. You could get more. But instead, the Sabbath was set aside as a principle to say, you don't trust in the sweat of your own brow. You trust in me. You trust in God to ultimately provide. You rest in the assurance that God provides. And so in the same way, this young man's, his Sabbath, his security, his rest was functionally in his money rather than that of God. And then lastly, the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, was being perpetually broken by his desire for obviously more and more security in his wealth and his resources, which all cycles back through his functional God, his idol of wealth and money, and his source of Sabbath, his source of rest, his source of security, his source of trust. And so in this passage, both in the case of the teaching about the little children as well as this young man, Jesus is teaching us, do not misunderstand and do not miss. Please understand, here's the point. It's all about trusting God. It's all about trusting God as the provider for all things, and the application of that point is a caution. It's a caution that money is a strong temptation for misplaced trust. It's all about trusting God, but be warned, money and the physical resources of this world will always be a strong temptation for our misplaced trust. And we see Jesus explaining this uh, as he continues with his disciples, as he's teaching them and thus teaching us. Pick it up in verse 23. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, they were amazed at his words. Okay, and so the reason just a time out here, that the disciples were amazed at these words was because there was a misunderstanding in the Jewish culture around them that basically boiled down that if you were wealthy and well-off, then they had a positive cause and effect guarantee that that must mean you're doing well with God. And on the inverse, if you're not doing well, if you're poor, then you must be not in good standing with God. And so it was a misunderstanding that Jesus consistently and constantly was correcting in many of his encounters with people in that time. Um, And so it was a misunderstanding then And frankly, it's still a misunderstanding in Christendom in our day as well. That in certain pockets of understanding that um, we have this misunderstanding that, you know, if we tithe, which is to give 10% back to God, or if we give generously, then we have somehow earned special favor with God in that giving, that that's what it's about. But as one pastor kind of poking at the error of this, you could say, you know, give to get investment approach, uh, this prosperity approach, uh, he said it this way. He said, quote, we treat God, uh, in this case, we treat God as if he is a pinata, and tithing is the stick. Hit the pinata hard enough with the tithing stick, and sports cars with rims will fall out. Um, I've been reading a book here recently uh, called Discipline and Discovery Discovery by Albert Edward Day. Um, It's from the 70s, if you could not tell from the awesome cover. Uh, 
but it's all about spiritual practices and disciplines. And um, one of the, it talks about generosity. And I'll be honest, it is, it's been messing with me in a pretty bad way because it even flips this idea, like for those of us who might be like, well, I'm tithing, I'm giving generously. Uh, it warns that even in doing that, we can do so selfishly and in a sense of misunderstanding. He says it uh, this way in a little bit of an excerpt that's been messing with me a little bit. He says, we tithe often on the assurance that God prospers the tither. Makes the nine-tenths that we are left go farther than the ten-tenths would have otherwise. Well, that, of course, is not giving, but trading. It's not being generous. It is striking a good bargain. It's hard. You see, Jesus' point when it comes to money and trust rather than prosperity is first off that money is a strong temptation for our mistrust, even in our keeping and potentially our giving. And so what Jesus is getting at in the application of this point is that it is ultimately all about trust. It's because not that we're looking to make a good bargain to get prosperous, but it's because, yes, we actually functionally trust God to provide for all of our needs that I then, out of that trust, obey and follow and trust him in my obedience to then, out of trust, give, tithe, be generous. Because Jesus knows and we know. Nothing puts rubber to road more quickly to prove, if you will, even if just to ourselves, our actual functional trust is in God than to be generous and give back. It's not giving away, it's really giving back, trusting God gave it to us in the first place. Nothing shows our trust in God more than to give back the things that the world says, hey, you need all of this to make sure you can take care of yourself. It says, no, I don't need all of this, I only need God, and in honor of that trust, I give back, trusting that it was him that provided to me in the first place. Pastor and theologian Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, if you can't tithe, if the idea of giving away 10% appalls you, well, then money has more control over you than it ought to have. That's tough. And I can attest to this. Throughout my entire life, I have been a compulsive money worrier. Um, I might need Eric Erickson to unpack why that fully is. I actually know why some of that is, but I've always been a worrier about money. And I remember a number of years ago, um, we had just purchased our first home. Uh, you know, we had one kid with another kid on the way, and my wife Jessica had stepped out of full-time teaching, and we had some other expenses that we were not anticipating in association with all this stuff. And it was, it was this time where I was like, I don't know if we can keep this up. And I'll be just real honest, I started looking like, are we sure we have to do this whole tithe thing? Is that really what, what, what God meant in the Old Testament and the New Testament and all this? I mean, I was literally looking for the loopholes. Like, you know, I work at the church. You know, that's kind of, you know, I'm supposed to get the tithes. And then there's this thing about the priest. Like, well, you give a tenth of the tenth. It's like, all right. So I couldn't get out of it. Um, but yet I was still facing this very real struggle. And I remember... Um, coming back from an event with Pastor Wayne, actually. We were driving from one thing, I don't remember, uh, back to the church, and I just kind of confessed this stuff to him. I was like, look, here's what's going on, and I, I just, we're really struggling with the whole tithing thing. And uh, He said this to me. It's something he said that's kind of been helpful to him in seasons of maybe less and trying to figure out how to still be generous. And he said this to me. He said, you know, Brian, did you have food on the table last night? Yeah, yeah, we ate last night. He said, you're gonna eat tonight? 
Yeah, yeah, we'll eat tonight. He said, you'll be all right. And honestly, as simple as that sounds, it was simply what I needed to hear. I simply needed to hear the reinforcement of the truth of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Look at the birds, they don't worry about their, I mean, I'm gonna take care of you. Seek first my kingdom and all these things, your needs, trust in me, will be provided to you as well. So, whether you find yourself in a category where you say, okay, maybe by some arbitrary standard, you think you have a little, or maybe you think you have a lot, Regardless, coveting the idol and putting our trust in the small g God of money and resources is a temptation for us all. Um, Because again, whether you have a little and you want more or we have a lot and wanna hold on to it, we all face that same temptation. In fact, this part of the world, we're all, frankly, we are, are all wealthy and all have the needs that we have met so easily and so that's why it makes it all the more difficult for us. It was interesting, actually, when it came to this kind of level of where you might think you are arbitrarily with having a lot or a little. There was a, a study done by uh, the independent, the group called the Independent Sector, focuses on charitable giving, that actually showed that those with less tend to actually give more. So the households did a study, households learning less than uh, $25,000 a year gave on average 4.2% of their incomes, while those who are earning more than 75000 gave only 2.7% on the average. And so, again, it's arbitrary where we think we might stand on this. Uh, funny story, John Maxwell, uh, who is, you might know him, or that name from his writings and his speaking in the area of leadership. Uh, but John Maxwell started his early days as, uh, as a pastor. And he tells a story of a friend that came to him talking about this issue, saying, you know, pastor, you know, I used to make like $50,000 a year, and then tithing was easy. It was actually not that hard, you know, 5,000 out of the 50,000. He says, but now I'm making over $500,000 a year. And I'm finding it very difficult to maintain a tithe. He basically is asking, would you pray for me? And so John Maxwell said, okay. And he put his hand on his friend's shoulder and he said, Lord, I pray that you would reduce my friend's income (laughs) back to an amount that he can tithe from. And so here's the relativity of it all. 10% of any amount is a significant amount. And it's an amount that is a standard throughout scripture that has God has placed to say, if you really want to show where your trust is, if it's in God versus money, it's a standard where it reveals the hearts of where our trust versus our misplaced trust ultimately and functionally lies. And so in light of this, Jesus, to, to clarify this whole point, he illustrates it finally with this way. Uh, pick it up, verse 24. To his disciples, loving them, he says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples, they were even more amazed at this and said to one another then, well, who then can be saved? And uh, if you've been around church circles at all, in your life. You've probably heard this taught maybe a couple of different ways or a couple of interpretations of what this whole camel and the eye of the needle thing uh, represents. In some teachings, they've recognized that the word for camel in Greek is camelos, and the word for thread or rope is camelos. 
And so some have speculated, you know, maybe it's a scribal error, you know, like maybe it's just saying, you know, it's really difficult to thread a needle. Um, Okay, and then the other teaching that, uh, or interpretation that's been out there is uh, the understanding of the eye of a needle is uh, an expression for a gate or doorway in the entrance of a city that was pretty small, that a camel, it wasn't impossible to get through, but it was very difficult. And so some have thought, okay, the camel gets through the eye of the, in the needle in the gate in the city or whatever. Well, the reality is, the context of this passage reveals that both of these dumbing downs of Jesus' teaching very clearly completely misunderstand Jesus' point. And that he is, he is intentionally using hyperbole to point to the largest land animal known to man and the people of that time. The idea of that going through the smallest opening that they could come up with is ridiculous. It's an impossibility. It's, it's, it's supposed to be silly. In fact, I remember doing a teaching on this in my old youth ministry days um, where they had this, you remember clip art where you actually had to you may actually had to clip it out. Yeah, that's what I had to do. This is like the clip art I had to clip out. So it's, it's a ridiculous picture. And it's the exact picture that Jesus was trying to paint. An extreme, absurd, frankly, impossibility. And that's why, frankly, the disciples were even more amazed by what Jesus had to say. And it's this impossibility that set up the ultimate point of what Jesus wants to drive home for all of us and his disciples here today. And it's verse 27. This is all of it right here. Because it's impossible, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. Now there's a verse that we all love, that we want on our coffee mugs, we want framed in our house, that all things are possible with God. And what's so awesome about this passage in its context is the reality of how this brings this whole trust issue full circle. That just like this young man, maybe we didn't even touch this, but he's also talking about how he's kept these commandments because he's trusting to some extent in his own morality, his own ability to uphold you know, the commandments. And so maybe we're tempted to think, okay, it's my ability to hold up five or even 10 of the commandments. And Jesus says, nope, impossible. That is not how you enter the kingdom of God by your own upholding of good things or like the meat of this application. Maybe like me, a compulsive money warrior. It says, nope, it's not by putting your trust in money and resources. This is seemingly impossible, but all of this that that we've looked at is all possible only with God. That just like a child has to put its full trust and care in the caregiver provided it in its first years of life, so do we. By the power of God, not our own strength, have the opportunity and the ability to put our full and functional actual trust in the Lord our God, our Heavenly Father. And so that's the point. And so to that end, let me pray for us all in our trust. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift and the illumination of your word that, that points out that there are a lot of things we're tempted to put our trust in, whether it's the physical, tangible resources that seem to get us what we need in life uh, or our own uprightness or whatever it is we think we might have done good. We know that we are not good enough and that we do not provide for ourselves. It is only you that provides. And we wanna grow in that trust. So God, forgive us for where we have put our trust in stuff of this earth rather than you are great God. 
And we thank you for the way in which you have provided for us. And so may we respond in obedience, both in trusting your ways uh, and and obeying the commands, because we know that's the best possible life that you have for us, or in generosity, God, that we know that uh, the power to, to be released from worrying about these things is actually in showing our power to be able to give it away. And so, God, we thank you for the way in which you want more for us, not less, in all of these teachings. And so, like children, we want to have faith and trust in you. And ultimately, we're thankful that that's not going to happen in our strength, but it's all possible by you, which is the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us and through us. It's in Jesus' name we thank you for that. Amen.